Hello and welcome once again to episode 140 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So once again, we have some Swift Evolution updates. Uh, and this one uh, both comes out of left field and also makes me wonder how how on earth we did not have this yet. Uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, the package manager is finally getting uh, mixed language target support, yes. uh, which means that you no longer need to have a target for Swift and a target for Objective-C. You can now have a single target uh, and have sources in both. Now, you can't do that yet. Of course, you need to wait for uh, this proposal to go through uh, the evolution process and uh, get merged into to Swift, um, maybe 5.9, maybe 5.10. Um, and I always found that weird with versioning. Um, yeah. Like it, it makes total sense that it's like separate numbers, but it's like once you hit double digits on, on one of them, it's like, wait, wait a second. We've, this is we've taken this too far. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, back to the main topic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's high time that this got added likely because of C++ integration, um, uh, mm-hmm. finally becoming serious. This becomes feasible, right? Um, up until now, it wasn't really feasible, and therefore, the best solution was to keep things separate. And now that it the integration is feasible, um, it's high time that these two things become one. Uh, so excited to see that! Yeah, that's awesome. And there's already an implementation. So, um, you know, assuming everything else with this proposal goes well, it could be you know potentially merged in pretty quick. And like Dimitri said, come out in maybe the next version of Swift. So that's cool, super exciting. That's um kind of weird that we call it the swift package manager but you know it, it once <laughs> once you can do all of this but uh yeah i mean it's it's still mo- the the package format itself is still in swift and i know yeah. uh some of the the initial designers of swift uh, were uh, not sure if that was the right move uh after after like it actually came into use um because it brings up some very subtle problems like needing to parse the package dot swift file uh, in a sandbox to make sure it doesn't do anything uh, super right. uh, jank in the process. So uh, there's that. Um, but uh, until then, I think it's it's a it's a completely fine solution for uh, what yeah. it's doing. Uh, in uh, completely separate news, uh, the social network sagas continue, um, and uh i personally am kind of getting a little burnt out uh by all the social media like news that's going on so we're gonna make this a quick one um and i have uh one two three four five and a half bullet items for this uh the first one is threads is blocked in the eu because of course threads is blocked in the eu uh it never got released in the eu um the european union uh and as of uh this recording uh they they outright blocked uh european access to threads even via vpns which uh was quite surprising like they don't want uh any european uh citizens uh to use threads um and this is the point where i say gotcha threads because i am part european (laughs) citizen living in the united states and i'm protected by those laws and i'm still not gonna use threads so uh that (laughs) i guess they're safe there uh next double safe next time um but yes, yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, meanwhile, Mastodon is getting uh, initial buy-in from governments, and this is super exciting um, because this is like I don't know why they were on Twitter, 
uh, why is government on Twitter? That's weird, but it became yeah. the public the public speaking place. Uh, this is a much better solution uh, where governments can all have their own little Mastodon server uh, and they can control it. Uh, and if uh, authoritarian government decides to join Mastodon, the 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 rest of the world can either let them join in or they can just block <laughs> them and move on. Uh, yeah. So, like, I don't see any any harm from uh, this at all. Um, so, uh, great thumbs up for me for this one. Yep, definitely. Um, in in less thumbs upy news, uh, <laughs> Twitter is paying for far right influencers to sort of influence, and they're getting revenue from it. Uh, yeah, kind of an interesting article from the Washington Post. Uh, pro tip, you probably already knew this, but if you, I, I clicked the link that we we're going to have in the description for, to link to the Washington post and it, you know, paywalls you, or it says here, give me your email address and you can read it for free. Just turn on reader mode and then you can read the whole thing for free, uh, without giving your email address. Um, but yeah, it, it basically talks about, uh, Twitter is kind of handpicking these far right influencers with, you know, like the cream of the crop, mil- as some uh, might say. Well, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, with like a million followers or whatever, and they're paying him like 10,000. It, it was like suspiciously, like the person had like 1 million 40,000 followers and they got paid 10,000 40 or $400 or something. It was like a very easy kind of number to kind of glean from like the amount of followers that they had. I don't know if that was coincidence or not but anyway um it's it's basically just far-right influencers that they're paying so um as opposed to something like my first thought was like youtube where um assuming you follow all their terms and conditions for monetization politically you can be on whatever side and you can still you know make money so it's it's there in that sense where uh this is very much like a hand-picked thing of uh, hey, these people aren't really liking Twitter right now, but they're still here. So let's maybe give them some money to help uh, our case. Ah, kind of weird. Yeah, kind of weird. Uh, meanwhile, in the Apple blogosphere, uh, John Gruber has a pretty bad take. Um, and generally, he has some uh, pretty good insight on things. But uh, he went ahead and said that Threads is the most fun, most interesting new product of the year. Uh, and no one in the EU can use it or will be able to use it anytime soon because their own elected officials passed the law that effectively bans it. Nice job. Have fun over here in the library. Um, and it's like a giant uh, moment yeah. when I when I read that. And it seems like the rest of the community likely thought the same and is not jiving uh, with this, uh, this uh, thought. Um, yeah. namely because on, on several assets, facets, right? Uh, the EU, number one, is not passing laws to make it difficult for uh, these companies, like Meta specifically, uh, to operate just to make it difficult for them to operate. They're passing those laws to protect like privacy and uh, basic human rights and stuff like that. Um, and Meta does not care about privacy and basic human rights. Um, and uh, if you have any doubt that they are uh, getting better, or improving, or uh, the same old, the same old Facebook, uh, like very recently, they're in the news of buying tax information of private. It's like what? 
Um, so, it's so bad. Yeah. Everything is just so bad with them, dude. So uh, And they don't care. They don't care at all. Um, so needless to say, I don't think Threads is the, the best new thing um, uh, since sliced bread. Uh, and a lot of people don't agree. Uh, and if that means that us tech people are going to be kind of relegated to Macedon and not uh yeah. be opened up to the rest of the world i'd say that's fine that's, ha- that's when fine. i enjoyed using twitter the most was in that period of time when uh normal normal people did not use twitter uh and i got to just follow the tech stuff that i like to follow um that was like the best time uh and then when everyone else joined twitter then it became like i gotta read all these tweets and i'm not keeping up and this is bad for my mental health so uh, I'd say this is a win-win, honestly, uh, over here in the library. Um, in the library, oh, man. Uh, it's like that—that that was probably the the worst, <laughs> the worst kind of insult. It's like you're telling a whole bunch of people who very much enjoy uh, being Reading. here that it's that it's like horrible to be here. Um, and it's yeah, mm, okay. Yeah. Um, like you do you. Um, yep. But uh, in our last point. Uh, Twitter is changing their their terms of service to mean that uh, anything you post there, they can go ahead and use to train AI models. Um, and this no longer means, oh, we're going to train AI models so that way they can do something with that information. It means they can train AI models to generate data based on what you provide. So uh, kind of like GitHub, uh, where any source code you provide, whether the license agrees with it or not, uh, is now uh, subject to being... Uh, auto-completed on other people's projects, which is iffy at best, but it is an open source kind of thing. Uh, for mm-hmm. Twitter, if you're sharing your artwork, you're not expecting Twitter to be able to generate new artwork based off of that. Uh, you are expecting to sh- promote yourself and share your artwork. So not the not the art, not the copyrights of the art itself. So uh, needless to say, I not super jazzy about that um but i'm not super jazzy about anything twitter's doing nowadays anyways so whatever um yeah all of this stuff is just making me i mean not that i share art on twitter but i know that a lot of people do and did maybe not so much now um but yeah it's just like it makes me regret less and less every day the decision to move to mastodon because it's like this stuff doesn't happen and it's probably never going to happen Mm-hmm. I think the best thing about moving to Macedon uh, is when you do uh, every now and then want to click on a on a hot hashtag uh, to see like what's going on. You don't have uh, a an ad every three tweets and b under right underneath that ad um, some nude porn uh, yep. that is just That's like accompanying true. it for <laughs> Nintendo Switch news or Pikmin. It's like why are there people dressed as Pikmin uh, having sex? It's not yeah. something that. Uh, I yeah. wanted to particularly uh, plant in my brain at that moment in time, but that's yeah. what Twitter wanted to plant in my brain, and they're totally fine with that. So uh, I am so happy that Macedon has uh, a better BS detector uh, than <laughs> whatever is going on on Twitter because Which they don't have like... to serve ads. They don't have to like drive engagement. That less engagement is good for Macedon. It's cheaper server costs. Um, so like I don't know. Uh, it's it's very very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, speaking of kind of a in a similar vein, um, Hollywood studios want actors replicas uh, for free forever. Yeah, and... it's like another another uh, spin on this uh, AI is great uh, 
take that we that the world is kind of pushing at the moment uh yeah ai is great for giant corporations that's about it yeah uh not even yeah. rich people get a benefit from ai it turns out uh, because uh yeah it's like oh yeah you record a movie with us uh, we're just gonna recreate you uh whenever we want uh and you no longer have uh rights to you uh which i think is uh like a giant red flag if uh we uh, are not electing officials to pass laws to protect us from these basic uh human rights um yeah that's it's that's that everyone's so behind i mean this is so new and like we're following it but like no one else is no one else cares about this and is looking towards the future mm-hmm. um in this article uh there's a, you know an image and the the whatever the description of the image isn't really a description but it says the proposal will sound familiar to black mirror fans it's like yeah that's a, that's exactly what we're doing black mirror's been around for a while and they've kind of uh it's weird that stuff that sounds like it could be from black mirror is like actually happening not that long after well, I think it comes down to you had a whole bunch of people who uh, watched Black Mirror and were taking it as a warning of this is the path. This is 1984. This is what could happen. Right. Uh, and then yeah. you have a bunch so, of people watching Black Mirror saying, cool, I want that. Um, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And they happen to have a lot of money and able to make it happen. So uh, yeah that's that's where we're at and and nothing is impossible nowadays with technology and the advancements that we're making um but at a certain point like we are kind of forgetting what makes it fun to be humans on this planet that's not going to last very much longer uh and we're just kind of serving the richest uh which is okay i guess um but like back to the medieval times we go i guess yeah for real though that's very true uh okay uh done with the social network sagas uh i guess we'll have <laughs> updates next week because they never end um, of course we will but something else that never ends is new beta releases and ipad os 17 came out um of course uh and spencer i hear uh, that you uh, succumbed to peer pressure and installed it. Peer pressure being the developer release news RSS that said the beta yeah. is available. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, I now have two iPads, so I was like, ah, I'll I'll sacrifice an iPad to to check it out because I can use my other one if it totally sucks. Um, so I installed. I think it was beta two on my iPad Air. Uh, and just started playing around with it. It was it's pretty fun. I think it's got some good additions. Um, I uh, I pulled up the you know the preview page from Apple, and unfortunately there are stuff that I can't test, like Stage Manager, because my iPad Air is it has like an A14. It doesn't have an M1, so I can't. So know. pedestrian. I know. I <laughs> such a pleb here. Uh, but some things that I did really like are the uh, the lock screen widgets. Uh, you can kind of only put them on the left side of the lock screen, which I think is fine. You can put quite a few widgets on there um, in kind of the very small, like one by one squares, uh, the two by one or the two by two squares. Um, and it looks really good. I had an issue with it. Um, you trying to move things around, move the widgets around in that list. And it would like just, they would just disappear. 
so right before this episode, I installed beta three. I was like, oh, maybe it'll fix it. It made it worse. I drag things over to that list and they be there for about half a second and then just disappear. Uh, so <laughs> it's, still I mean, it's, it's a developer beta. It's buggy, but um, it's cool. And the, um, the new planetary backgrounds are super fun. Uh, they look really nice. Um, I'm sure they'd look amazing on like an OLED screen or uh, whatever the retina liquid, whatever, whatever it's called on the iPad pro a um, little more contrast, but uh, no Pluto, which is a bummer. We were all speculating ah. and I know. They, yeah, no Pluto. So the Pluto killer on Twitter will be very pleased. If you don't know, that's the astro- astrologist that uh, basically brought to the table that we should not consider Pluto a planet anymore uh, because there are like 17 other objects that are bigger or near the size of Pluto uh, all in the vicinity that we just happened to not discover uh, when we discovered Pluto. Right. But now that we know that they exist, it's like... Uh, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to not count this as a planet. Um, it's a planetoid, it's planet-like, um, but either we count all of those as planets and then we have yeah. a long list of a hundred objects to, to think about, or we just consider the eight, uh, main ones to be significantly larger, um, or significantly more, uh, interesting to talk about. Uh, and then all the Kuiper Belt objects, which are separate. Um, the irony is that uh the this this person um whom i'm forgetting their name um i'll i'll pull that up quickly afterwards but uh they posit that there is likely a ninth proper planet that is significantly mm. larger in size um who which is dubbed planet x um because there is like some anomaly in the in the gravi- in gravitational pull of all the kuiper belt objects uh the fact that pluto is like off skew for instance um so it's just a matter of where on earth is this thing or where in the solar system is this thing (laughs) um because it ain't on earth um and it is so far like the projected place where it is is so far the light of the sun would not illuminate it unless you were looking straight at it and like overexposed so it's it's not going to be an easy find um, and it's a, it's in a portion of the sky that has like a significant amount of surface area to search. So it's just a matter of time of us searching. Is it here? Nope. Is it here? Nope. Is it here? Nope. And eventually, is it here? Yeah. Uh, and if we get to that point, then it's confirmed that we have a, a, a proper ninth planet uh, that is significantly farther, but still technically in our solar system. Uh, and it does make some close approaches over like a 10,000 year period. We're just in the unlucky part of the 10,000 year Mm. period uh, where we're not able to observe it. So uh, that's, that's, uh, that's where that is. Uh, But that's the reason why there's no Pluto. Um, But we have some gorgeous pictures of Pluto. So that's kind of a shame that we don't have like proper papers for it. (laughs) But at the same time, like it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um. Another Mike thing Brown. that I played around with. Sorry. Mike Brown. Mike Brown no, is the astrologist. Uh, astro- astrologist? Astronomer? Yeah. I think it's astrologist. Okay. It's always always tough because the, the other word is astrology. It's not astrologist. That <laughs> astrolo- oh, yeah. Good point. Astrology is I've... the bad one. Uh, astronomy is the good one. So astronomer. <laughs> it's the bad one. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, That's awesome. Um, yeah, anyways, please, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> I regret so, my, my mistakes. No, you're good. 
Um, yeah, so like going through this list of things in the preview, like I really didn't get to a ton of them, but another one that I did check out was the health app. Looks really good. Um, I kind of am sporadic in my wearing of my Apple Watch, and so it doesn't have a ton of information there, but there was a period of a year or two that I did wear it almost daily uh, when I was like actually going into an office to work or to teach. Um, and you know, I went back to that and it looks really good. I mean, it's the same health app. It's just in a bigger display and it looks nice being able to see a little more information at once. So that's cool. Uh, didn't play around with like the, the direct PDF editing or the Safari profiles or anything like that, but I'm excited overall. Uh, you know, it, for what I've done, it seems like an in incremental upgrade, but the things that it's promising for the most part seem really cool. Um, what was the feature that's not out yet? Um, that's oh, like the the um, you know, airdrop and be able to just like walk away and have it continue. Can't test that because it doesn't come out until later. Um, but yeah, overall, um, it looks good and visually it's very similar, but it's got some good improvements. So if you you know if you like planets, you'll get some sweet wallpapers and the lock screen widgets are nice too. So not very in depth and and all inclusive, but it'll be good. Um, you mentioned the health app on the iPad. Um, and I think that's a great addition mostly because, um, folks that don't yet have an iPhone can start tracking and building up like a health history that they can go ahead and, uh, rely on. One of the coolest things that eventually ended up in my, in my own health history is the fact that I got, um, or previous to having, uh, any sort of Wi-Fi scale, um, I had uh, Weightbot, which was made by the same people who make Ivory and Tapbots nice. uh, in general. Uh, this is like one of their first apps, uh, Weightbot, and it lets you just step on a scale and then record your weight, right? Um, mm. And eventually they added support for the Withings Smart Scale. Um, I don't remember if it was called Withings back then. They changed their name so many times. Uh, <laughs> as they got bought by Nokia, rebought them from Nokia. It's a thing. Anyways. Uh, they had support for that scale, which meant that if you stepped on the scale, it would automatically show up in WaitBot the next time you launched mm. it. Um, and also, it meant that anything you recorded in WaitBot would sync back to Withings, um, which meant that I have uh, history since like 2007. Um, oh, dang. Like almost cool. daily wait history from that time. Uh, because eventually Withings added support for Apple Health and synced all of that into it. Right. Um, so that's that. It's really cool seeing my way just like take uh, go to unhealthy proportions <laughs> and then stay I there. Um, so it's finally oh. it's finally making a return now that I'm sleep deprived in other ways. Um, but uh, that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, so <laughs> what I want to say is I started tracking the way to my daughter. Um, and I'm using an old iPhone to keep track of it in the health app under an iCloud account for her. Um, and she can choose to keep this or delete it once uh, sure. she's old enough. Uh, but at the very least, uh, she'll be able to look back when she's also 30 and be like, I used to weigh five pounds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a world we live in. That uh, you can do that. That's uh, awesome. An unattainable goal uh, by uh, any adult <laughs> standard. But uh, it's needless to say, a Thing to make you think and and think back on so um i would have loved to be able to just look at that once or five times in my life and just ponder um yeah. so uh my daughter will be able to do that uh and any of your daughters or sons or uh, children in general uh may be able to do that uh if you don't have an extra iphone and you just want to get an ipad mini 
um, you can go ahead and start tracking that um, on that device. So that's that's super cool. Yeah, that's way cool. I'm very interested to get a an Apple Health scale now. Yeah, uh, if if you want to, I highly recommend the Withings like Smart Body Analyzer two seventeen whatever they call it. Um, yeah. The basically you change the the AAA batteries once every few months. I just have a spare set charging right next to it, mm -hmm. uh, so it's never too much of a bother. Um, and if you are by yourself, it's super easy. You just walk on it. Um, if you're by yourself with a cat, eventually the cat will sit on it and get weight <laughs> wings in, but it won't mix them up with you. It'll be like, this looks separate. Um, mm. uh, awesome. and if you have multiple people in the household that are similar weight, um, it will let you pick by like balancing on the left or right side, uh, to oh, choose cool. who you are. Um, so that way you can, uh, discern between them. Um, so Overall, uh, A plus from me. If you want to like consider that specific model, works great. Cool. Uh, talking about things that work great, uh, iCloud Keychain is going to support Chrome and Edge mm -hmm. soon, uh, which uh, will hypothetically work great in Sonoma uh, once uh, we get to that point. The coolest part about this is anything that supports Chrome extensions, like Brave or Arc, uh, any right. any Chromium browser. Uh, will be able to make use of this. So if you primarily use Safari um, for your general browsing needs, but need to use a Chromium browser to, say, record a podcast, um, <laughs> then uh, that is uh, something that uh, will hopefully uh, make you happy as you can now access your passwords through that Chromium browser um, and not need to have them in three different places. Uh, currently I have a few passwords saved in Chrome just because whenever I need to use Chrome and I need to use those passwords, they're saved in there. Uh, but if yeah. I ever need to change those passwords and it's like changing them in three places, it's kind of annoying. So, um, looking forward to this for those sparse use cases. So that way I don't need to kind of worry about that. Yep, definitely. It's, <clears throat> it's always been a pain. Like when I get signed out of, you know, Google or, or I think it's happened a couple of times in Riverside, which is what we use to record jumping into you know keychain and searching for it and you know i have a thousand entries for my google account so figuring out which one's the right one you know it's just like it's a whole thing so um yeah being able to just have it in there yeah and i don't know it's not that i don't necessarily mistrust the password managers but like you said having to change them in multiple places is, is a bummer so that'll be really nice yeah, especially with iCloud Keychain getting shared password support, like Spencer and I can have yep. a shared little group Ooh. with uh, yeah. the Riverside credentials and uh, this or that for, for code completion, then we can just share those passwords and not be too bothered by it. And then combined with the fact that Safari is finally getting like uh, different sessions, uh, mainly you can have like a work session and a personal session. Like uh, Spencer can go ahead and uh, set up the stream in a Safari window without signing in and out of Google 17 times uh, to, <laughs> to go ahead and do that. So uh, all around A pluses uh, that I'm definitely looking forward to this. And this might be the thing that like pushes me onto the betas earlier than later. Mm. Uh, and then I'm going to be like, Lynn, you should get the betas too so we can share passwords. Fa <laughs> extended family, you should get the beta too so we can share a freaking Netflix password. Uh, which we might mm. not be able to do anymore. Um, so uh, that will that will be interesting. 
Um, but yeah, overall, lots of A pluses from me uh, for this. Greatly looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, another A plus here is in malicious compliance class. Um, so someone called Niflas on Mastodon has this just fantastic idea for app permissions. So um, I'll, I'll just kind of read it for verbatim here. It says, when an app asks for permissions, the OS should not only let you answer yes or no, but every category should have yes, but feed the app fake data option. <laughs> so want my contacts for no reason? Have these generated fake ones. Want to listen to my microphone? Here's random ambiance sounds. Location, put me on a time, tiny five by five meter island. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah, put it all in your database. Uh, actively punishing services wins over boycotts any day. Didn't want that junk in the database? Don't ask for it. Which is like, ah, oh, that's such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally see Apple doing this in some way. Uh, yeah, like maybe it's not a main option, but if you know what you're doing and you know the option exists, you can go into settings and enable it. Uh, maybe it's a developer option, you know? It's like, oh, this is just for testing. I need some some test data. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you flick the switch, and then anytime you get a prompt, you have three options. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh, because yeah. for the people who care, this is perfect. Like you can evaluate uh, apps, you can do security research, you can do all sorts of things without giving apps access to uh, everything and without being extra rich and having a separate device with a separate account and all that. Um, yeah. So, uh, like, there are real reasons that this is like quite useful, uh, but then there are also the like malicious compliance reasons which is just like the cherry on top of the cake um because then why not uh, yeah you can have my contacts here you go <laughs> why does everyone know john appleseed um uh, yeah know. exactly <laughs> it's a it's a default contact in their contacts it used to be didn't it uh when you like uh open contacts for the first time it had like a few dummy ones just so that way you can have something in there and john appleseed I know it did. was one of them I know it did on the simulators. I don't know about actual real devices. Hmm. I, might, sure. I might be getting that conflated over the past 30 years of using Macs. But uh, yeah, separately from that, um, Apple has released, unreleased and re-released a <laughs> rapid security <laughs> response. Uh, and this was an actual important one that was, uh, I believe, actively exploited um, in WebKit. Oh. So it's like, yeah, like, please install this. But then the moment you installed it, a lot of websites like Facebook and Instagram stopped working. Um, And that is like, I guess they patched that problem. Um, But joking aside, uh, it seems to be because the rapid security response added an A to the user agent. um, And that A broke all the parsing because I don't know if you've ever seen a user agent. Uh, They make you believe that you're still using Netscape uh, from like... (laughs) 1999 awesome, uh like it's just netscape but no it's actually mozilla but no it's actually for uh internet explorer but no it's actually safari like that's what a user agent looks like it's just complete bogus um and it seems like we got to the point where uh if you're trying to match safari uh <laughs> that no longer works because of the stupid a um and as a result of that a whole bunch of websites broke uh so apple has a support article telling you, hey, if this rapid security response caused you trouble, you can uninstall it, which is exactly what they're awesome. meant to do, right? That's perfect. Yep. Um, and if it's not causing you trouble, like keep it. Uh, but there's an updated one that will go ahead and not have 
that problem um, and everything will be a little better. So uh, I say it's the system working as designed and that's <clears throat> super cool. Yeah. As I, I think we've already talked about rapid security responses a little bit, but they're small and they like install in a couple minutes. If, if that they're very fast, once you restart your phone and that's cool. Um, they're rapid in both that sense, but also in the release and testing of them. So like, it kind of makes sense that, you know, they haven't been testing iOS 17 uh, since May for nothing. And it's still not going to release for a few months, but this was probably like done in a very short amount of time days, probably that mm -hmm. they figured out the exploit and released a patch. So uh, there's always that risk, but it's good that they let you roll it back if there is an issue like they did have. So yeah, yeah. system works. As long as it doesn't break apart of the system that lets you roll it back, <laughs> we're good, right? Uh -huh. uh, yes. Which they'll probably put more scrutiny towards uh, if it ever gets to that point. Like, hey, the rep security response thing has an exploit. Um, that one's going to be a little bit more of, a, of an update. But the reason sure. why it's fast is it just installs and then restarts your device. Um, and that restarting, when it launches, it like sees it and registers it. So uh, it's not like a painful, lengthy, oh, we need to bring your computer offline so that way we can change a bunch of files and then bring it back online. It's mm -hmm. no, it's just putting something somewhere. And then the next time you restart, it activates. So um, I think this is how Android updates this is definitely how the nintendo switch updates i don't know if you've ever installed anything yes. on a nintendo switch it puts so apple fast. to shame uh because not only yeah. does the device boot in seconds which turns out like max used to boot in seconds with ssds until people stopped caring about where they're splattering files um and then it's no <laughs> longer seconds uh but uh it used to be it used to be fast and then got slow um nintendo switch has always been blazing fast and then you have an update and you're like, I don't want to do an update. Do the update. It, it one, It's like 15 seconds at most. Yeah, it's a download to watch the download happen, which you don't have to do. It can do it in the background. And then when there's an update, like you just restart and you have the update and yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's there. You do, it's no different than restarting the device in other ways. So um, Apple, uh, maybe consider that if you have copious amounts of disk space install it on a, another read-only partition that nothing yeah. can access except the main read-only partition uh, and then just swap uh, and delete the old one. And if you can't do that, then fall back to this current strategy that takes forever. Fine. Like, that's uh, that's fine by me, but uh, yeah, we can we yeah. can do better. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about uh, how uh, files get written to disk for some reason. I don't know. It might be writing a database or something. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> like it just, it, it definitely concerns me that we got to a point where if you happen to boot a Mac from a spinning disk nowadays, it's horrendously slow. Horrendously. It's, it has nothing yeah. to do with CPU bound. It's just people stopped paying attention of how they are writing stuff to disk. Uh, and if you have a bunch of synchronous access to disk that, uh, like you're just waiting on, then everything is slowed down by that. Um, and we were vastly more efficient when we were cognizant of that, right? When you had to use a slow device, then you realize what you're doing. Um, and I worry every time, like we have faster and faster devices now that our iPhones are essentially faster than most computers, like no one's going to care about 
yeah. like performance optimization. And and the end of the day, that's going to end up hurting battery life. Imagine how long battery life would be if everything was coded in the way that it was in the iPhone OS two days, right? right. We would probably have two day battery life just because everything would be so uber efficient running on this blazing fast processor that just spends most of the time not doing anything. Um, and that would be like super, super efficient and resourceful. Uh, when meanwhile, we're just not being as careful as we can be. And we're living the consequences of that. I'm not saying that I am, uh, the de facto standard of, uh, like how to code efficiently. I'm sure I'm making plenty of mistakes myself, but, uh, it is something as a developer to think about, uh, while you're developing things like, People, I think this this word has harmed the industry more than ever. It's like don't pre don't uh, do performance optimization. Yeah, what is it called? Uh, let's preemptive optimization or something. Pre, yeah, premature optimization is the root of all evil. I think. Yeah, I think that is like the worst thing that we have done to ourselves is tell us tell ourselves that if it's obvious that you can simplify something ahead of time. And it's a tiny bit more complicated, but it's a way more efficient. Do it. It's it's always going to be worth it because you are not uh, polluting the future space uh, of performance optimizations as a result of that. Um, sure, it might like take you a little bit more time, uh, and sure that saying is probably was probably put in place before people were actually measuring uh, and like making good decisions. Like uh, sometimes you can prematurely use a lazy and it ends up shooting yourself in the foot. Like I get it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, if you know, something is going to be bad performance wise and you uh, like willfully ignore it just because it's not necessary yet. Uh, mm. I think that leads to worse products. Um, case in point, uh, try to run a Mac off a spinning disc and then uh, <laughs> be woefully surprised that the inefficiencies abound. Um, and if you're wondering, well, that's not so important because we have SSCs nowadays. Well, guess what? Apple sometimes sells fast SSCs and sometimes they sell half as fast SSDs. Yeah. And that really hurts um, themselves, right? This is Apple that we're talking about. This is not even third-party developers for the most part. Um, so, yeah, just... Yeah. And kind of going along with that, I've kind of noticed that when when I had my, my uh, brand new Mac... Brand new... 10 year old Mac mini saga a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, one of them was running like Yosemite. It booted up really fast. I installed Ventura. It was really slow, both to boot and also just running in general. So mm -hmm. there's definitely been like a change even in that short amount of time. With, yeah. Because uh, now we same expect... hardware, same SSD, mm -hmm. right? But like way different. Yeah. Yeah. Now we expect... those are running on Intel two cores to just always be available to run stuff in the background. Uh, and that's just not the case, right? Um, yeah. So uh, an over-provisioned system like this iMac Pro that I'm using may work fine for a number of years because it has 16 cores or uh, whatever. I think it's a 10-core. I don't remember. Uh, let's look it up. Uh, it has 10 cores, uh, 16 uh, gigabytes of graphics memory, 64 gigabytes of yeah. uh, like system memory, uh, 4 terabytes of SSD, like... This one will probably work fine. The Mac Mini that released at the same time in 2017? No. Dude. Not at all. Um, 
not mostly because they didn't update it until 2018, but that's besides the point. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's worth considering and worth working on uh, making sure that your apps, no matter what they're doing, they're doing things efficiently because you never know when there's going to be a weird regression that it's all going to come and bite you. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, finally on our list of topics, we have Apple reorganizing uh, their, their process for the vision pro. And it seems like this is the first departure or one of the first uh, departures that uh, Apple has taken towards their organizational structure of instead of having um, individual teams work on individual uh, like product areas, like there's no iPhone team and there's no Mac OS team. There's a software team that works on both of those. Uh, It seems like Apple is actually evolving that to have a team dedicated to the Vision Pro um, to solve those problems and be a little less cross-functional. And it's, I will only know a time if this works out for them or not, or if it causes uh, mass mayhem as uh, Apple forgets that iOS is a thing and we re- repeat the whole problem of macOS being neglected for years. Uh, or if that solves the problem, who knows? Um, but it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah. The article mentions like the um, Apple's, you know, car division is very separate and it's kind of been doing this separate uh, team paradigm for a while. But that's like very different, whereas the Vision Pro, it's like it runs iPad apps. So it's pretty similar to the teams that already exist. So it's kind of in this weird middle ground where it's like it's separate, but it's like basically the same thing. And it's using the same uh, processors aside from that R1 chip or whatever. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. Um, the last point that Mark Gurman uh, shared with this uh uh, this this memo of reorganization uh, is that new Macs in October. Who'd have thunk? Uh, so I expect yeah. new Macs in October. Um, cool. Cool. Yay. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Solark. Solark is a weather app designed to revolutionize how you and your loved ones stay informed about weather conditions and track sunrise and sunset times across multiple locations. With Solark, you can easily monitor conditions where your friends and family are, ensuring that everyone is prepared for whatever the elements may bring. My favorite feature is actually the Solar Solar Arc itself, which makes it super easy to see which one of my co-hosts is up uh, and which one of them are sleeping at a quick glance, since you can rename any of the locations uh, directly in the app. Uh, we want to thank Solark for sponsoring our show. Search for Solark, that's S-O-L-A-R-C, on the iOS App Store today to give it a try. So, Spencer, I've got a code completion tip for you. Um, Have you ever been working with constraints and then the console says, hey, this constraint, it's problematic. It's giving us trouble. And then you're wondering, that never happened to you? I've never had that. No, no, I'm perfect at constraints. Oh, you're perfect at constraints. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm talking to... But you can... I'll I'll let you still tell it for everyone else. Oh, for hypothetical reasons, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. if you ever run into this in the future. Well, you have <laughs> you have some uh, problematic constraints, and they, they get barfed all over your console. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two dozen. You know, case, cases <laughs> may vary. Um, and you're like, oh, what on earth is this constraint? I don't know what 0x, 2b, uh, a, d, uh, uh, 1, d, e, a is. Um, that's a bad idea. Um, 
and like you don't know what constraint that is so you go ahead and copy that uh and you google it and that doesn't help you so you could do something different instead and this one uh was surfaced uh from the good old repository of xcode.tips which is a treasure trove of these sorts of tips uh you can just double click that that um address uh click on view debugging uh this will pause everything let you paste that address in the view debugger like search field at the very bottom uh, mm-hmm. And then that will highlight the constraint in your UI. So then you can know why this constraint is problematic because the view debugger will also tell you it's problematic and it will give you like the alternatives. Um, so that is like an uh, A plus tier uh, tip for working with constraints. If you're still working with constraints, um, a very, very cool. Uh, never thought to try that. So chef's kiss. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. In all honesty, yes, that happens all the time. And on LumaFusion, I mean... The app's old, so it uses, you know, it uses auto layout for almost everything. So it has so many constraints. And yeah, it uh, it can definitely, you, you put one constraint in it, it breaks like literally like 20 things. And you're like, oh, awesome. So yeah, that's that's cool. I will actually use it. Awesome. So this week on Completion Curiosities, uh, we have two very cool links. Uh, the first one, uh, Spencer, you shared this with us. Uh, it's the game of life built in the game of life. Uh, so if you don't know what Conway's the game of life is, uh, it's like a pixel simulation uh, where uh, each pixel is a cell um, and cells survive <clears throat> if they have like two or three neighbors, but die if they have less or more um, and are spawned in if there are like three cells uh, surrounding a blank one. Um, so it just kind of, once you click run, it just kind of creates these beautiful patterns of, uh, these, uh, these cells like growing and shrinking. And sometimes you kill the population, uh, with a certain starting configuration. Sometimes it just runs forever. Um, and, uh, this person on YouTube wondered, is this Turing complete? And it turns out, yes, yes, it is Turing complete. Um, and you can write, uh, software using the game of life because you can go ahead and build gates um, because there are certain configurations <laughs> that like move a signal uh, and then you can use that signal to trigger other signals and so on and so forth. Uh, and not only did they build a like a computer that runs the game of life, they built a display that shows the game of life being run on the game of life. Yeah, um, dude, it's so cool. And, and there's one moment in the video <laughs> where uh, like there's, they're just talking about this. Uh, and it's zooming out and you kind of like get to see all the processing nodes talking to each other. And then you realize this isn't a processing node. This is the display of the game of life being simulated in real time uh, or not in real time, like super fast forward. I'm sure it's probably sure, yeah. like hell on a computer super to simulate. Um, yeah. But super, super cool watching that moment when it just zooms out and then you realize, oh, this is the exact same pattern that I was just watching just a moment ago. Um, so uh, very, very cool. Definitely recommend uh, watching this one uh, if you're interested in how computers and turn completeness work. Um, great, great piece of video time there. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I was blown away. I am. Um, I think so, I don't know how it worked but i think some students at lambda school like even in the ios program 
uh, one of their challenges was to build the game of life. I was always so jealous and I'm like very tempted to, to build an iOS app that does the game of life. I'm sure there are some, but uh, I've never done it. So yeah, it's uh. but seriously, watch the video. It was just like, so cool. And our, I think we've talked about this maybe in an after show, the, uh, you know, checking a tears of the kingdom is turn complete. This just like <laughs> takes it to another level. Cause you, there's no limit and you can just build these ginormous things and, it's very very cool. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, and then the next, the second and last link I have for this week uh, is a George Carlin anecdote. So if you don't know who George Carlin is, uh, he is like a god tier comedian, I would say. Um, unfortunately, uh, no longer around. But uh, if you do look up his videos, uh, definitely look up the classic of Why Earth Made Plastic. Um, <laughs> That's uh, that's one of the best ones that that stays uh, rent free in my brain. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is an anecdote shared by a whole bunch of other comedians uh, earlier in their career. Um, and I'll just read this verbatim because I think this is so uh, so uh, nice to think about uh, for the most part. And I'll talk about that why afterwards. So Rick Moranis uh, is talking and he says, I was a big George Carlin fan. How could I not be? But there came a point where I saw him on a talk show and he was reading off cards. I had a feeling I could look like him, so I did an impression of him reading off notes and telling lazy jokes. Years went by and I was at an awards show. Across the aisle was was Carlin sitting there. We looked at each other and he just said, brutal, man, brutal, brutal. I sort of shrugged and gestured about how much I love him, but I never really met him. Years later, after he passed away, I spoke with his daughter, Kelly Carlin, she wanted to use the SCTV clips in a show she was putting together. I told her, look, I want you to understand that, believe it or not, I was it was really done out of reverence. She said, no, you don't understand. It had a profound effect on him. He wasn't aware that he was really being lazy. He was unhappy and wasn't doing the kind of work that he wanted to be doing. And your impression caused him to change his approach. God, I am glad I spoke to her. So... If you want to take anything from that, it's not to make impressions of people to kind of force <laughs> them to do the right thing. I mean, you can to billionaires. Anyone can make impressions of billionaires. They might, like, terminate you with the vast amount of money they have, but that's on them, uh, not on you. Um, but the the real lesson here is that if someone criticizes your work, you can do one of two things. You can be mad about it, or you can think about why they're criticizing you uh, and that might actually help you like find more joy in doing the work that you're doing. Right. Um, and that's the, that's the real lesson that I wanted to share with this that kind of touched me and maybe in many months I'll talk about it more, but um, like it's, it's pushing me to change in a different way than I thought. Um, and frankly, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, for whatever reason, the, uh, the word escapes me, but like when you have negative or positive, uh, feedback, it's not feedback, criticism, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's, he was essentially criticizing him, but I mean, he, he meant it as positive criticism and that's the way that George Carlin eventually took it, but that could easily be seen as like negative criticism. So like you said, it's just all about perspective. That's really cool. Yeah. And I, I would say like, always be careful uh, criticizing people via 
uh, impersonations because in the large majority of scenarios, it's not going to go your way, right? Um, you are going to be insulting them. Um, and like it was clear that uh, Rick Moranis felt that he had insulted and like later in his career he's like oh shoot that's true younger me was such an asshole about this um and he he clearly thought nonstop about that to the point where uh once it finally did come up like that's immediately the first thing he's thinking about um so it's it's one thing to do it with your close friends um and family who you know well and who know like the their own shortcomings and like you were just poking fun at them because they know yeah. their own shortcomings. Like that's one thing, but to do it to a stranger, uh, even if you look up to them, like keep it in mind as you use like Macedon or Twitter or threads or any of these things, like the people you're following, they're not your friends. They're not necessarily people, you know, well, they don't know you. Um, so if you want to joke with them or, uh like make make uh make make some pleasantries because you want to start a conversation just keep in mind that they don't know you and anything you say can just be very bizarre when it comes across from a stranger um so that's like the second thing that you can learn from this um and in this case it it worked out fine but in the large majority of cases it probably won't work out fine um, and you might upset or uh, push the person you were trying to like uh, step put a, one step closer to further away from you um, by doing that. So always keep that yeah. in mind with uh, any any interaction you have on the internet. Um, it's it's something so easily forgotten because we think like, oh, hey, I know this person so much because I follow them. They know nothing about me though. Yeah, um, and that that can. That goes in every direction. You might be so comfortable with someone and then someone talks to you and you're like, who are you? Um, so yeah. interesting. Nonetheless. It reminds me of like our very early days of our code completion Slack group, because at least for me, I was like very careful about what I said. And when I made a joke, I like purposely made it very clear that something was a joke because we were co we were all coworkers, but like I didn't really know anyone super well. Mm -hmm. And now we just like kind of, I mean, not that we do it all the time, but like we can definitely make a joke and everyone in the Slack group will know it's like not antagonistic, if that makes sense. Yeah. But we've been doing this for years at this point, And I think we're, we're pretty dang good friends, all of us. So we, I feel comfortable doing that and not having them take offense, if that makes sense. Said another way, Spencer is 100% in his right to make fun of me for having a million windows open. Not <laughs> exactly. necessarily saying that anyone else should should make a joke about that. Like, yeah, it might be funny. Uh, I might laugh or I might take deep offense to it because you don't necessarily understand all the nuance that I'm hiding out by trying to, like, present it as something silly on the show. Yeah. Uh, so do keep that in mind. Um, Parasocial relationships are weird, man. Mm -hmm. yeah that's what we're you know that's what it is when you just follow someone with a ton of followers it's like you know them but they don't know you so yeah it's a weird world we live in that's for sure indeed as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week please be sure to follow us on mastodon.social at code completion to know when new episodes go live and feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested 
in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-A-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. So I don't know if this is enough for uh, a commented out, but I am almost at 0.1 and it's feeling so good getting it finally over the the freaking finish line. Um, I feel as I as I head into working full time again, uh, that progress is going to slow tremendously Um, because I've. I've personally been working on this basically only in the evenings um, because I had a very unhealthy sleep schedule of waking up like hours before I would need to take care of uh, niece for the day. And uh, therefore spent all my time doing errands and stuff like that. Um, And then Lynn hands niece over to me. And then whether I get work or not, that's completely dependent on whether niece is happy or not. Um, (laughs) This is the, the new boss in, in the room is like saying, nope, now's not the time to work. Um, so uh, we'll see if I get it to that point. But like, it's it's ever so close. I have just two things left. Um, and I think I'm itching, inching towards them. I had a bunch of time to work on it yesterday and I did not work on it yesterday. And I feel bad about that. So shame on me. Uh, no, but. Need, need to do some cleanup stuff uh, with snapshots, and that will enable uh, an unlimited undo history, which for apps, oh, I think is so like cool. so tantalizing. Another thing I realized it could do is say your app is a record of contacts, right? You could look at a contact and then enter a time machine like mode and see the history of that one Their record. Their old phone number. Yeah, right. yeah, over time. Um, and none cool. of that is like necessarily lost. So. Uh, that's an alternative way of thinking about um, how how this like persistent history could work, um, and I am ever so look I am ever so looking forward to that working. That said, it's like a whole bunch of setups to make sure that it works properly uh, and sure. tracks history properly. So that's one part of it, and the second part of it is uh, your favorite migrations. Yeah. Um, so I have migrations half working, whereas if you save an old like version of a struct, um, as long as you keep that struct around in your code base, uh, you can always reload it and then migrate to the new version um, cool. lazily. Um, and this is all taken care of for you. You just specify, hey, for this version, use like decode mm-hmm. this. And for this version, decode this. Um, so that's that's all neat and and good. But another part of Codable Data Store is being able to just change the indexes on a whim um, because, say, like the nature of your app changes and you need an index for this and you need it to be able to rebuild the indexes. Uh, mm. So you want an opportunity to be able to warm it up before you start like your users doing anything. Um, and you can show a UI for that and a progress bar and all that. So. I need to work on the part that gives you progress and does the migration of indexes. Um, so that's the second big thing. And I think after that point, I can call this a 0.1, uh, which nice. uh, means that I will likely start using it in an app that I'm building, um, which I won't talk about. But uh, that will be 
a very cool point because that means I can now start to realize where other shortcomings were. And I immediately yeah. start to think, started to think of some like compounded uh, indexes where sometimes you want to index two things. Um, so that's something that uh, I will need to solve, uh, but I can solve that in the 0.1 days because technically it's possible to do it. You just need to like make a custom type and all that. I just sure. want to simplify it. So um, yeah, almost there. That's exciting. So would you, would you say that like at that point, like you said, you're going to use it, but like, would you say it's like good enough to like start alpha or beta testing for like other people like me specifically? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say uh, alpha testing is uh, open season. Still cool. expect to lose all your data, right? Um, oh yeah. Making yeah. no guarantees at this point that uh, the store won't change under the hood. Um, I yep. will make those guarantees once it's at a certain point in the beta of yeah, where I feel comfortable releasing it to the uh, releasing an app built with this. That's probably the point where it will like reach this point. Um, at that point, like it will migrate itself, right? If I sure. need to change some internal structure um, that's saved to disk, it will go ahead and work with both. Like the all the file types are versioned for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. until then. Uh, like anything and everything can change and I don't want to have a bunch of legacy code and like supporting this alpha version that no yeah, one yeah. uses uh, except yeah. one person. So uh, it's still in that uh, alpha state, but it's progressed to a point where it is 100% usable. It will 100% use up all your RAM if you insert 100 million <laughs> things in it. Yeah. Um, like uh, I have a unit test that inserts like, 50 or 100,000 things and that uses 3 gigabytes of RAM because it keeps the historical records of everything up right. in, with every change in memory uh, which it shouldn't do that I, I know it shouldn't do that I didn't get around <laughs> to cleaning it up yet give me some slack um, I have plans of how to do that it's it's architected in a way that will allow uh, that to happen but it, well, needs, yeah, it needs to happen first probably will happen immediately after I get the migrations work. Cause that will like surface that to the front stage. Anytime you want to migrate your 10,000 entries, mm. but am three gigabytes. I don't want that to be the case. So um, yeah. getting there little by little. Yeah. But it's not like you're saying like, boom, I'm almost ready for version one, baby. You know? And oh no, I'm at 0.1. So, this is like, you're aware first, of that. The first of betas. <laughs> so yeah, you're aware um, of that. And that's like totally fine. Yeah, let, let me look up. I love that I can just type the name of this thing and it's the only thing that exists on Google. It's Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very convenient. Okay, so let me look up the, the readme because... Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Let me look up the readme because I have three things left in uh, my 0.0.x days and that's updating snapshots that have multiple manifests that will allow in the future to tell a snapshot, Hey, roll back or roll forward. Um, and then you can have full, full history. Um, the second one is flushing out historical edit metadata. Uh, this is that way when you decide to eventually delete the historical stuff, that's taking up too much space. Uh, it knows how to delete the pages that are not being used. Um, so that's oh, cool. Im- it's important loosely, uh, to not have terabytes of disk used for yeah. historical stuff. Uh, and then the final one is migrating entries. So that's what is left on my plate before I call this usable. Um, and me calling it usable means I get to play with my new SSD 
uh, NAS setup, which I'm looking forward yeah. to. Doing together. Uh, so I am highly motivated to, to get this part done. Yes. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, on the road to 1.0, uh, these would be the things where I would say this is 100% stable. Please go ahead and use it. Uh, this is better than core data. Um, it's the, the coolest <laughs> thing since sliced bread and since threads, apparently. Um, and uh, that list is significantly longer. I have composite indexes via macros, maybe. Um, I need to include macros for index paths because that's kind of clunky at the moment because mm. it turns out key paths, you don't have a string ver- like definition of those. And I need that to store on disk for the indexes. So that's kind of important. Uh, I need to clean up old resources and memory again, so you don't use three gigabytes every sure. time you save too much. I need to clean up old resources on disk. Um, not everyone needs infinite uh, history, uh, so that yeah. should fix that. Um, oh, I I got one of these things done: reversed range read. So if you read a range in reverse, uh, it turns out I did that, so I can cross that off the list. Cool, oh, nice, uh, good of me to read this list over. Uh, controls for the edit history. Um, so namely, probably some sort of pr- uh, like provided undo manager that you can just go ahead and set for your collection view. Um, mm-hmm. And that means that if your users undo or redo, it will go through that undo manager um, directly. And when they launch right. your app, if your app was launched and uh, there's undo history, great. If your app wasn't launched, and there's no undo history, it will still work. Um, so you have that persistent undo uh, stack. Cool. This will only really be usable for simpler apps, I would say, because as yeah. soon as you have more than one thing in a persistence that is saved all at once, like you don't want to undo sync data, right? Um, like there's some stuff that it just becomes a little iffy uh, with yeah. this kind of setup. So um, there will be certain points where you can say like, hey, undo history is kind of like out after Cleared this out. point. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, the data might be there historically, but the undo history is not very usable, um, pre this point. Like you did a migration, mm. can't really undo past migration because you're going to need to do that migration again. So, uh, that's, that's one thing to consider for undo history, but something I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, um, I want a helper type to use with Swift UI, um, slash observability slash combined, depending on which mm. one you're using. Uh, that basically makes all this data available on the main actor. So you can basically say, hey, nice. I'm interested in uh, books, just vend an array uh, that I can connect to Swift UI. And anytime that array changes, uh, it'll use... It'll update. Yeah, it'll use Publisher to go ahead and update your UI so that mm-hmm. you can go ahead and say like, hey, I'm interested in this range currently, uh, but also go ahead and filter this stuff. So it gives you some higher level control. Oh, cool um that you can just plug into an app and not need to think too much about otherwise it works kind of like a rest api you ask for resource and it gives you the resource you save a resource it saves the resource right uh you delete the resource it deletes the resource um but this gives you like a more modern uh uh view that just will asynchronously load so you'll see stuff Mm -hmm. trickle in and as you filter it'll just filter stuff like that so really looking forward to that um, I need to add comprehensive test coverage. I've been writing lazy tests, which run the code, but don't verify anything just so that way I can verify it, um, uh, sure. and make sure that it works, but not necessarily need to spend all my time writing tests. Um, so that will come as I find bugs. I'll probably 
uh, beef up the test coverage. It's also because Xcode 15 did not have test coverage enabled and I was too lazy. Xcode 15 beta 4 does have test coverage enabled, so I'm probably going to be backfilling those uh, quite nice. soon. I want a comprehensive usage guides of like how to go ahead and do the right thing with this. Can't release a 1.0 without that, uh, especially as much as I uh, yelled at Apple for releasing code with no documentation. I'm not going to follow in those footsteps, so I want to have a good usage guide uh, and an example app, so that way you can go ahead and follow along um, nice. to like build out a super simple. I think I'm going to go always... with like books and authors, like a two model mm-hmm. setup. Uh, just yeah. talk about all the different facets, migrations, changing your idea, like indexes, uh, and you can walk through that process. So uh, I want to uh, make sure that there's a memory persistence. So currently there's only a disk persistence that works. The memory persistence would be extra useful in SwiftUI previews or uh, your own unit tests. Mm, yeah. So that way you can go ahead and mock data that runs through the exact same code paths that the rest of your app uses. Um, mm-hmm. And it will work until the preview is done running or it will work until the unit test is finished. Um, and uh, the example app should hopefully show you how to like architect your app in a way that makes this uh, very easy to, to write tests for because any persistence model that makes write tests hard means that you're not going to write tests for it. Uh, so this should hopefully help there. Um, and then, uh, finally, I want to make sure that there's a pre-configured data store for storing pure data. Um, so it's not a codable data store, it's just a data store. Um, right. so that way you can store things like images, uh, in there. Uh, it should do quite a good job at making sure that's consistent with your main data, data store objects. Um, so if you save an object and you save an image at the same time, you're sure that you have both of those. If you delete an object and you delete the image, you deleted both of those kind of thing. Right. Cool. Um, and then after I do 1.0, that's when the other features uh, come in, like snapshots and backups. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to write a companion app that can just inspect these data stores. Um, and something I want to oh, nice. do is in in the data store itself that got persisted to disk, I want to have a URL to that exam- companion app. So that way, if a user is looking at this and they want your app is defunct, right? Uh, and they want to just save their data uh, or like look at it again, instead of poking at it manually, which they totally can do, uh, they can go ahead and just download this app uh, and then just open the data store and inspect it manually, make a tweak, do whatever they need to do. Um, I want to support other kinds of persistences, like maybe a distributed one for a multi-server deployment um, Mm -hmm. that would be totally possible um i want to support compression and encryption on a per database data store basis so some data may be public some data may be like crucial uh and a user might need to enter a password to be able to to see it um and i want to allow external rights to a shared inbox so if you have an extension uh that cannot write to the data store at the same time that the app is running that will cause mayhem um but it can schedule rights to happen uh, in an inbox, and then once the main app runs, it can go ahead and consume those items and apply them to the main data store. So, lots of things I want to do with this um, that will happen with time. Um, so, like it's it's never complete software this thing, uh, but hopefully yeah, once I get to a certain point, it will likely be stable enough where I'm just going to be improving it 
rather than adding functionality. Um, so sure. those improvements will likely come when a new version of Swift comes out and uh, Codable is slightly different or improved or there's a better version. That's when I'll be like fixing it up. But I don't necessarily want to be adding features ad infinitum uh, long term. Sure. So uh, that's basically what I have on my mind. Oh, I want to add full text search too. That will probably happen after oh, one point. Yeah. Um, but it's nice. not on the list. So maybe I'll forget about it. Who knows? Um, kind of useful though. Uh, we'll yes. See. Yeah. Querying is nice. Cool. That's uh, that's super exciting. I, uh, I did want to ask, and you've most definitely thought of this, I'm sure, but um, are you going to like add a, be able to let the developer limit like how many historical versions there are type of thing or like yeah. how big the backup, the undo manager can be. Yeah. So it needs, if you want to support, if, if you just have an app and no extension or anything, it can be one, right? Like you can have no undo support okay. other than like doing undo yourself. Like, Hey, you undid a sure. thing or reapply that to the database. Um, it's not like a fast particular thing. Like it's not just, moving a pointer uh, along mm-hmm. a historical point is just adding a new, more new yeah. entries. Uh, that's totally doable uh, and would work fine. If you have an extension and you want that extension to be able to read the data store while the app is writing to it, you need to have some amount of uh, like existing edits. So that way the extension can point to the wrong one while your app is like adding new ones and not mm. delete the old one yet. Like it needs to be able to access it fast enough. So you'll probably want to have like 10 in that scenario um, where there's always a valid snapshot in its entirety where an extension can go ahead and read data. um, And then uh, it can go ahead and move to a newer snapshot in the next iteration, but it needs to stay on disk long enough for that whole process to finish. So 10 is what I'm thinking seems reasonable. I don't know. Yeah. I I didn't get to that point yet. It's just hypothetical (laughs) still. Uh, so that's two options. And then the third is uh, it will be kind of unlimited from the beginning of time. And then you can choose to clear it out anytime you do something big, like a migration. Oh, okay. Um, cool. And then separately to these iterations of a snapshot, you can make a complete snapshot if you want. So right before migration, you want to like double check things. Uh, you want to be able to yeah. roll back if you need to. Uh, you can make a brand new snapshot in its entirety. It'll just duplicate everything on disk. Uh, right. good safeguards. Uh, you can allow the user to make backups and those backups will be kept indefinitely. Um, the user can manage them uh, via your UI. Like you just present mm-hmm. it in a UI kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So there's like three stages of persistence, uh, historical persistence that can happen. Um, and they all have, they're all basically the same thing, but they all have slightly different semantics. Um, so right. depends on what you want to do. Like right before you clear all persistence, you can make a snapshot. Um, and you can keep that snapshot around for 30 days in case the user wants to be like, eh, this wasn't for me. Uh, but right, yeah, going yeah. back to a different snapshot means they lose all new stuff. So there's like downsides for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I think giving, uh, giving them the developer or, and by extension, the user options of like different ways to do it. That's, that's super nice. Yeah. My goal is mm-hmm. at any point in time, you, the developer can access one of these older iterations in its entirety. So you can have a complete read-only view of the past um, and you can mm-hmm. load all sorts of objects that you need, no matter how complex your data store setup is. So if you have 17 different object types all interacting in complex ways, 
Like you have access to that entire thing. Kind of like in Git, if you go back to an old commit, your whole repo is exactly as it was right. um, when you did that. So hopefully it, it makes that easy. And if you ever need to inspect stuff on disk, like everything is named in a sane way. It's like dated up to the millisecond. I need to yeah. add milliseconds <laughs> because I was adding hundreds of thousands oh. of entries. And they were all within a second. I'm like, shoot. Finder does this not, not sort. Finder does not sort uh, hexadecimal values oh. properly. It will find like, oh hey, this one is a number and a letter, so it's smaller than number number letter, which is smaller than number 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 letter, uh, and right. so forth, uh, because it's yeah. trying to be smart about how to do mm-hmm. stuff in a, for normal people. Uh, hexadecimal stuff does not work great in that scenario, so I need that to add sense. milliseconds. But that makes it super easy to see like what the most recent thing is. You can just open it in Xcode. Uh, and see, oh, hey, this got saved properly before this. Like, um, oh, shoot, I don't remember. I can't find this record. You can go ahead and look and do command F and search for it. Right. Um, yeah. So that'll be nice. It's very developer friendly. You don't need other tools. The companion app might be very useful when it does come out to be able to inspect your own stuff. But um, hopefully you can use this for library type apps where you have just a bunch of stuff for the app in general it might work for uh document-based apps like your document can be this um it will work great on icloud drive because everything is a copy so that means that nothing will really ever get out of sync um Mm. on icloud drive um so uh hopefully designed well for the future use cases at least for the next 10 years then we can rewrite it from scratch to do something else yeah uh, and not care at that point yeah, for sure. When you have another child. Yeah, that'll, that'll be when uh, uh, not codable data store, serializable data store uh, comes hey. out <laughs> uh, <laughs> running on uh, Swift uh, 6.17 because it will still be on Swift 6 by then, I'm sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's probably fair. We've been on 5 for a while. Yeah. Has it been cool. 10 years Exciting updates. Yet? I think it has. Almost, yes, right? I think so. I think so. 2014 is when Swift came out. I don't think anyone celebrated oh, it, it, so it's it's probably yeah. like in a year. June 2014, yeah. So we've got just a, under a year. Crazy. Hmm. Yeah. The the age creeps up on you. That is true. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.